If you're visiting here tonight, welcome. Um, Adam's trying to blow my cover. Um, one of the things I like about Scum is I can just be known as Fran's husband, since she's the one on staff. But uh, every once in a great while, they, uh, they bring me up here once or twice a year, if I'm lucky or unlucky, depending on the point of view. When I'm invited to speak at other places, uh, a lot of times people say, uh, just do whatever you want. And I don't think that's ever happened at SCUM. Uh, I, always, I always get an assignment, and it's always a good challenge. <laughs> so uh, if we have the PowerPoint working, if we've got the power back on from this morning's outage, and we can go to uh, the question for the evening. What time is it? No, don't look at your watches or your cell phones or if you have a timekeeping device of some other kind. What time is it in the history of the world? You ever ask that question? Any other philosophical types of people here? What, what's going on in the whole sweep of uh, the succession of centuries? I have a cousin who's a retired physicist who uh, is a lot smarter than I am. Um, he was a, a whiz kid back in the 1950s on some popular radio show and uh, worked at the Fermi Lab in Chicago, which is about as high up as you get if you're a physicist. And he's convinced that um, we are on the threshold of a golden age of world history when technology and um, inventions and environmental science are going to... Uh, rid the world of a huge number of its problems. I'd love for him to be right, but he's also an atheist and doesn't really have time uh, for God and is not sure that God's people always help things. And, well, that may be true. Is that what time we are in history of the world? And we see all of the wars and corruption and heartache in human hearts. I have a Christian acquaintance. I don't know him well enough to call him a friend, but uh, he too thinks uh, very optimistically. He thinks that um, we are making such good progress worldwide that if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, it may happen in many of your lifetimes that we will see the the virtual eradication of world poverty. And he's got some interesting statistics to back him up. 25 years ago, 1990, 1 1.9 billion of the people on this planet were below the UN poverty line, and that has been cut over half to below 900 million. Still sucks for those 900 million, but... Um, what could happen in the next 25 years? Well, the poor you'll have with you always. Yes, Jesus said that, but he didn't say that there had to be more than a handful. 
I'd, I'd like to hope that that one was true too. And then I keep watching natural disasters and refugees and earthquakes and tornadoes and cyclones and tsunamis and you name it. And I suspect uh, we can make good progress still, but there'll always be some, some very dire needs. Or maybe you're like those who are naturally pessimists. What time is it? Um, sorry about that. I wasn't ready for that yet. Um, well, the end is coming. I can't do it the way Adam does. I, I'm so jealous of that. The end is coming. It's about about the best I can I can pull off. <laughs> and maybe you know some of those folks. Oh, don't worry about the environment. Don't worry about politics. Don't worry about issues of justice. Christ is coming back right around the corner, and He's going to take care of it all. Trouble is, people have been saying that off and on for two thousand years, and so far, a hundred percent of them have been wrong. Jesse did a marvelous job last week, but there's one thing he didn't point out, and he asked me after the morning service if I had anything to add, and I didn't say a thing about this because I wanted to keep it for tonight. If, if, if you go back to last week's passage and look at Luke 12, and you'd have to have a real Bible or a phone or something because we don't have it on the slides. Luke twelve thirty five through 48, we read three parables, one about uh, servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, even if the partying went on almost all night long. And so... Uh, Verse 38 said, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or almost toward daybreak. The master might come back a lot later than some people suspect. Then Jesus told a, a two-verse parable about a thief, a, a burglar, and it just says if the owner of the house knew that there was a guy ready to break in, he, he wouldn't have left the place unattended. Here, the Son of Man comes at an hour when you don't expect him. Verse 40. And then the third parable is about uh, a servant who begins to... Uh, Say, my master's gone for a long time and beat his fellow servants and carouse and get drunk. And, and the master comes back surprisingly early. Now, check me if I've missed anything, but I think we have here three stories about the end coming later than expected, earlier than expected, and just plain unexpected. Are there any other logical options? <laughs> So I'm reluctant to get on anybody's bandwagon that uh, 
they know Jesus is going to return in uh, fill-in-the-blank number of years. What time is it? Am I just going to ask that question all throughout? Just about, yeah. Well, in Jesus' ministry, it's uh, well into his final journey to Jerusalem. Way back in chapter 951, what was that, the beginning of the summer? Um, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen there. He lets on in this passage that he knows. And, And although Luke has got nine times as much on this final journey of Jesus as any other gospel writer, and we could lose sight of the big picture, Jesus is heading for execution, for martyrdom. That's uh, what time it was for him. What time is it for us? What time is it for you and your individual lives? What time is it for scum as a church? Well, let's read The first part of tonight's passage. Jesus, just fresh off of those three little parables, says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. What's he talking about? Fire in Jesus' vocabulary regularly stands for judgment. He knows that in the future he's going to have something to do with helping God on Judgment Day, and he wishes that we're already starting. Not not because he likes to punish anybody, but because he'd like to have it over with. But even sooner, he says, I have a baptism to undergo. And you go, no, wait a minute. That was chapter three. That was Christmas. Uh, no, that was before Christmas. We, we started with three and then we went back and did chapters one and two at Christmas. <laughs> He's been baptized in water in the Jordan River. What's what's he talking about here? Well, baptism is a word that meant immersion. He has an immersion of suffering to undergo, to die for the sins of the world. And what constraint, the word can also be translated, what distress I am under until it's completed. (laughs) He was a man. He was a human being. He didn't want to be a masochist and undergo this horrible suffering any more than you or I would have. And it gets crazier. Jesse was so fun last week talking about how weird the passage was all the time. And it's the same chapter. (laughs) He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. 
They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You go, I get that last one. <laughs> Some of you, unfortunately, get the other ones too, not by your own choice. Jesus came not to bring peace, but division. But elsewhere, he says he came to bring peace. Can you make up your mind? Well, he came to bring spiritual peace, peace with God, the opportunity to be reconciled to other human beings, but um, some would reject that, and some would reject him. And so the division that he came to bring is not that he directly goes into households and starts beating people up. <laughs> but as people become his followers, the inevitable result is that there are folks who reject them. And it can hurt the most when it's among your family or your close friends. So... What time is it? Well, interesting pair of guys. That's one of the things you get when you uh, search under Google Images under hostility. <laughs> they both remind me of people I know, but not here. And who knows, maybe they're actors. Or maybe it's a live shot of, of somebody once, but it may be time for God's people to expect hostility. Now, how old am I? Well, Fran and I have passed a milestone this summer that we'd rather not acknowledge. Happens when the second digit is a zero out of two digits to your age, and it's ten more than the last time it happened. But, but one of the ways I'm reminded of how old I am is that I can remember as a grade school kid in my neighborhood when every other kid on my half of the block, either on my side of the street or the other side of the street, every family that had kids, and most of them were somewhere close to my age, were church-going families. Next door were the Missouri Synod Lutherans. Next to them was the Evangelical Free Church people. Across the street were the Conservative Baptists. And then there were those two Catholic families, and we really didn't know what they did in church. We were just told it wasn't really that great. <laughs> because we were the other kind of Lutherans. Now, except for the one guy in the Evangelical Free Church family, I don't know that the gospel message had really taken in any of our grade school hearts. We represented the full range of uh, selfishness of most kids. But Sunday morning, we could pretty much count on seeing at different points everybody dressed up. Parents made them. 
heading off to church. It wasn't quite leave it to beaver, but um, there is some truth there. And when the pastor would talk about a passage like this or one of many other passages that talked about persecution of God's people, he would always say something like, now, of course, this doesn't happen in the United States, and we're grateful for that, but, you know, there are people suffering for their faith in other countries. And I thought, that was kind of strange. Fast forward to uh, 20 years later when I was... uh, in school and then in school and then in school Um, and all of this after high school (laughs) and um, well it was the beginning of the new age the era of free love and hippies and of course I was a good kid so that wasn't me well outwardly I was a good kid Um, and uh, People were experimenting with a lot of new religious ideas, but um, they realized they were in the minority. And so uh, by that time, I did have a, a relationship with Jesus. And and if I would talk to my friends, uh, some were interested, some were apathetic, some would just laugh and blow me off. But I can't honestly say I experienced much hostility for my faith. Now, another 30 years, and all that's changed. And the last 10 years, the most rapid change. Uh, we're a few months away from the 10th anniversary of the release of Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. Maybe the first time in history that a blockbuster bestseller put those two words in the same title, God and delusion. And anybody who believes in God is equally deluded. The the boxing match is on, and there are no holds barred, and uh, hostility can come from anywhere even in the Bible Belt. And that's not Colorado. What do we do? If God has marked out for however long a portion of this time in world history for God's people, even here in the United States, in Colorado and Denver, for hostility, Jesus keeps on talking. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. (laughs) Still works that way in some parts of the world. (laughs) I still remember... 25 or so years ago when both my parents were alive and they came out and visited us once and it was the first or second time they had visited us out here and we had that classic summer weather pattern, giant storm build up looking to the west and my mother said, oh, it's going to bucket today. And real flippantly I said, yeah, it might. 
And if you knew my mother, nobody says anything flippantly to her, challenging her um, without a rebuttal. And so she said, well, now, now, wait a minute, Craig. You know that back in Illinois where, where we live, if you saw clouds like that to the west, you knew it was going to bucket. And I said, you're right. This isn't Illinois. What? <laughs> and I explained that mountains mess things up. Ain't no mountains in Illinois. Few hills, highest elevations, 900 feet above sea level. Doesn't qualify. And by the way, that day it didn't rain. <laughs> Israel's more like Illinois. That maybe is the only way it's more like Illinois. But um, <laughs> you see a cloud rising in the west and you say it's going to rain. And when the south wind blows, it's coming from the desert. And, and uh, you know it's got that New Mexico or Sinai heat in it. And we have so improved weather prediction over the years wonder how Jesus would rephrase this today. <laughs> Hypocrites, you know how to program the computer so that you can tell on every hour for any place in the world with what percentage down to the nearest unit the likelihood of rain. Or at least you think you can. Until you try it in Colorado. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Okay, you got my attention. What's right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Boil it down to one command. Settle out of court if you can. Be reconciled, if possible, to those who have something against you. What time is it? It's time to try for reconciliation. A little nicer picture in the last one. wonder if it's significant that there were a whole lot more li uh, real photographs under hostility than there were under reconciliation. <laughs> Mostly just clip art. People naturally think we're deluded, then we got to work extra hard not to give them genuine reason to dislike us. Sometimes Christians suffer at the hands of others because we're jerks and we deserve it. If we're true to the gospel of the foolishness of the cross of Christ, people will reject it and us. But let's make sure that's what they're rejecting and not our tactlessness. But Jesus says, if, if somebody's got something against you, try to settle as soon as possible. And I don't know about you, but I find... One of the hardest places to do that is in families. 
I was a little tactless, I'm afraid, with my retired cousin when I was young, and uh, I don't think that's the main reason he's blown off Christianity, but it might have contributed a little. And I've tried for many years now just to be interested in what goes on in his life and and speak a good word here and there, but uh, hope that nothing I do or say adds to any further problem. Some of you know that uh, we lost uh, Fran's second brother um, this year, and uh, that was the hardest one. He was the, the one of the siblings that had made most of his adult life one of rejecting the family, rejecting God, rejecting religion. And we were pleased when we got to spend some time with him last summer that he had gone all the way down to being a very mellow, sensitive agnostic (laughs) who cried when we prayed for him, but still didn't want to make any faith commitment. I'm old enough to have watched and heard of a fair number of people dying. And I'm not familiar with anyone who's really died in peace without God. I've been privileged to see some amazing folks go to be with the Lord with quite a bit of suffering who weren't naturally heroic, but said, God's just given me the the strength to handle this. I didn't do anything. I, I didn't expect it to feel this way. If there is a life to come, then reconciliation with God, with each other, especially for the sake of those who need him, becomes pretty crucial to answer the, the question, what time is it? But now comes my favorite part of the passage. Horrible place for a chapter break. I don't know what they were doing. The apocryphal story is the guy that did it was on horseback uh, riding in the south of England and then took a ferry over to France and was riding in the French countryside. And sometimes the horse jostled and the The chapter and verse divisions just got put in the wrong place. It's probably not true, but uh, I can believe it for this spot. The topic has not changed in the least. Jesus continues, well, Luke explains. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Yeah. It's probably a metaphor for saying Roman troops slaughtered some people they deemed rightly or wrongly to be rebels right in the middle of the temple precincts, right as they were offering their animal sacrifices. And Jesus' response to being told about this incident is, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? 
aren't there always some Christians hanging around that when the latest tragedy or disaster strikes, uh, especially especially if it hits uh, <laughs> some people we don't really like or really don't like, we say, ah, God's punishing them. Jesus says no, not at all. I tell you, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he gives another example, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Towers weren't as durable as they are today, and towers fall today, and towers fell back then, and people were hurt or killed. Neither one of these incidents is recorded in any other history, but neither one of them is big enough news, sadly, to need any recording. The, the stuff Josephus and other historians talk about is on a much more massive scale than a few people like this. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Pat Robertson says, you know, no, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but unless you repent, you too will also perish. How do we respond when bad things happen to good people? This is one of the most overlooked passages in the Bible to answer that question. We respond by saying, Life in a fallen world is tragic and horrible things happen to good people. And that could include me and I'd better be ready if it should happen to me. And then Jesus tells uh, a little parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Judgment day is coming. And fig trees throughout the Old Testament were, were often symbols of Israelites living in peace and prosperity, each man under his own fig tree. <laughs> Today it would be with his high screen, high definition, flat screen TV or whatever. <laughs> and in this little story, there is an advocate who argues the fig tree's case and says, don't be so quick to judge. Give it a little bit more time. And God says, okay, fair enough. But we're not going to delay forever. Repentance is not a, a comfortable word. It's a theological word, but all it basically meant in the ancient languages was to turn back or to turn around, kind of like that uh, street sign. And if you can't read Honest John, the guy is saying if repentance were meant to be easy, there would be an app for it. 
time to turn back to God, Jesus is saying to his audience. Are there ways we need to turn back to God? The ways you need to turn back to God? What time is it? Time for me to quit the sermon. Nope, still got five minutes if I go on as long as I did this morning. I won't go any longer, promise. No, I better not say that. It looks like it's time for this period of time, for however long, for God's people in this part of the world to experience a little more hostility than they have in past decades and eras. And that means that it's time that we be reconciled with anybody we possibly can, realizing that we can't make somebody else change their mind or actions. I was at a church a couple of weeks ago and they served communion and a guy came up in, in tears and shaking, not sure if he should take communion because he said, after years of being unwilling to do it, I finally went to my mother. And this is a man who looked like he might be 50 or so. And I apologized for some things I had done years ago. And then I told her that I forgave her also for stuff she had done. And her only reaction was, I didn't do anything that needs forgiveness. I have no idea if she had any, any notion of how deeply she hurt that man with those remarks. And somehow he felt like he was a failure. I said, no. No, communion is for you. <laughs> Absolutely. We can't make other people respond properly. All we can do is say what we need to say. It's time for hostility. It's time for reconciliation. And if there are areas that we need to turn back to God, we, we need to do that. Most of you know that uh, Fran and I are leaving the hemisphere for the next uh, almost five months. I have a sabbatical and Mike Sayers had so much fun in Cambridge that uh, we're going to try to imitate him. Actually, we were there 30 years ago, so he's the one who imitated us. But um, can I confess one of my sins publicly? A sin of worry? <laughs> What are we going to come back to in mid-January? at the scum evening service. We're going to come back to twelve uh, people sitting around in a little circle making Kathy Pence happy with the lights on down front here. Because if we continue to Follow attendance patterns for the last four months at the same rate. That's what we'll be at. Have you noticed? We can't keep 
people from moving away. That's what people do, especially when they live in Denver and are young. <laughs> but we can keep bringing people. That's what used to be the genius of, of one of Scum's evening service was we would just get a flood of visitors and we'd try to figure out the right balance between giving them space to check us out and being nice and welcoming and and some of them stuck and other people moved away, but there were always people to take their place. We haven't done too well at that in the last 15 months or so. I haven't done too well at that. I'll, I'll join in with everybody else. I don't know what it looks like, but when I come back in January, I want to do something, some kind of a discussion group, class, whatever. Because I haven't done that in a while, and Daniel keeps reminding me of that. Good on you, as they say in Australia. Would each of you be willing to add one thing to your involvement with SCUM between now and January? And maybe that means to create something that has never happened and you've always wished would happen. And you're always looking around wondering why somebody else doesn't do it. Give you a clue. That's how God's telling you to do it. There was time before we had two services when this room was packed every Sunday evening. And there isn't a reason that I am aware of why it shouldn't be again. Even with the Sunday morning church. But it's not going to happen if we just sit back and hope folks show up and like us. What time is it? It's time to quit. Will you pray with me? Father, I suspect there is not a person in the room that likes to be bashed for their faith any more than I do. I suspect there is not a person in the room that finds it any easier than I do to to eat crow and go to people and say, I blew it, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then to extend forgiveness in ways that uh, we need to for how others have hurt us. Even if they throw it back in our face. And I doubt there's anybody in here who uh, finds it any easier to admit that we haven't been as close to you. We haven't been following you in every area of our lives and there are areas even that affect our involvement at SCUM that we can do better on. Would you help us with these tasks? Would you help us to see what time it is? We, we don't want any towers to fall on us. and We don't want to be killed and have our blood mixed with anything. There are people who are having that happen to them, and they're not just overseas anymore. We want to be ready if, God forbid, that 
should be your call on our lives tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. We want to be able to look you in the eye and hear you say in our hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, not, when are you planning to come back? You sure screwed around a lot recently. Help us, we pray to that end. Make this expression of your body of believers worldwide, if, if we're doing anything worth continuing to do, for the right-brained and the left-out, and, and the left-brained and the right-out, whatever that means, help us. Help us grow grow deeper in relationships and touch and affect more people for your kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.